From what I see and read, sugar is in almost every food we buy at the grocery store. In fact, in a new documentary called Fed Up, it is stated that of the 600,000 plus food items in America, 80% of them have added sugar. You heard me correctly, that's 80% of the foods we eat today have added sugar. But how can that be when on the last food label you read, there was no sugar listed in the ingredients? That's because the wording used on food labels is like a foreign language to many of us. On today's show, we are going to teach you how to decipher food labels so you know exactly what ingredients are in the foods you choose to eat. I'm Lori Sobelson of Bob's Red Mill, and this is the Food is Medicine podcast. Michael Pollan, author of the groundbreaking book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, is quoted as saying that the U.S. government is subsidizing the obesity epidemic. That is his opinion, and today we share the opinions, insights, and wisdom of two doctors, Dr. Julie Briley and Dr. Courtney Jackson, both joining me in the studio today. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Dr. Jackson, why is it so important that consumers learn how to read food labels? We would consider this an essential skill for wellness in today's highly processed world. We teach a 12-week series called Food is Medicine Every Day, and one of the initial skills that we start uh, educating participants on is how to read a food label. You mentioned earlier that there are a lot of very confusing words found on a food label that unless you put a little bit of time and energy into this process, it becomes a really difficult task to know what you're actually consuming. Mm -hmm. So most of us are, we like to say, eating somewhere along a food spectrum with one end of the spectrum being all whole foods, all plants, all whole grains, Uh, Not a lot of packages and plastic bags to be found. And on the other end of the spectrum is a highly processed diet filled with boxes and cans and and bagged food. And so unless you're eating a completely whole foods-based diet, which I think in today's world is really challenging to do, you will be faced with food labels. And you need to understand Uh, how to navigate that food label, understand the words, the vocabulary, to understand best what you're putting in your body. That's great information. Dr. Briley, could you share with us a little bit about your approach in teaching food label reading skills in the FAME series? Sure. So as Dr. Jackson mentioned, it is an acquired skill. So in the FAME series, we take a very hands-on approach to food label reading. So in our classes, we bring in a ton of, of food products with labels on them so that people can look at the labels and understand what it means. When we ask our participants, most people think that going right to the nutrition facts part of the label is the place to go. So they're going there and reading the grams of fat and protein and fiber and the percentages but most people don't really know what those numbers mean. So we take a different approach and we have people go straight to the ingredient list. And the ingredient list is usually found under the nutrition fact part of the label. And if you're listening at home, you can go to your kitchen right now and grab a label and kind of follow along. So on the ingredient list, the first thing we teach is to look at the number of ingredients or how long the list is. And in general, a list that's very long likely has a lot of additives in it, um, where a list that's short might signify that it's a lower processed food. 
And so for people that are illiterate or don't speak English, this can be a really important tool um, if they don't understand all the words. The second thing we teach is to um, read the ingredients on the list. And everything should be a recognizable food item. But nowadays, that's, that's usually not the case. You find you know, long words, chemicals, things like that that shouldn't be part of our food. And so another tip that we say is to think about if you are making this food at home. So for example, if you're making a pot of chili, what might you put in that chili? And most people would say maybe some ground beef, some beans, some vegetables, some tomato, tomato paste or sauce, and some spices. And so think about that before you read your label. So if you're picking up a can of chili, you might be surprised to find things like texturized vegetable protein, or MSG, monosodium glutamate, or uh, flour, or other natural artificial colors and flavors. And so that can help you determine, oh, okay, is this a, a whole food or is this more of a processed food? And then the last thing we teach in terms of looking the, at the ingredient list is the order of ingredients. So the thing that's listed first is the thing that is um, in highest quantity in that product and then down the list to the least quantity in that product. So for example, a kid's cereal and with sugar listed as the first ingredient probably isn't a good choice. Um, so those are kind of the initial skills we teach and then we kind of go into more detail into the nutrition facts because there is valuable information there too. And do you find, Julie, that if there are fewer items listed on the ingredient list that they are a better choice? For instance, if there are five ingredients, most likely they won't have preservatives or additives. They're more a pure label. Is that correct? I would say it's there's a better chance okay. that it's less processed. You okay. still have to then read the words. You can oh, yes, still have, definitely. you know, like a soda is, you know, just a few ingredients, but usually mm. it's high fructose corn syrup, uh, carbonated water, and then some added colors and preservatives. So in general, yes, but not all the time. Good point. Courtney, in your classes, um, as people start to learn how to read labels, what kind of discoveries do they make when they start I mean, are they, do they have any like aha moments or they get excited? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think the biggest aha moments actually come usually the following week uh -huh. after we uh, begin this lesson, which is usually our second workshop. People have spent some time at home going through their cupboards or spent some time in the aisle actually looking at labels on common foods they purchase. And they are floored <laughs> to realize the sheer volume of added chemicals preservatives, food coloring. Again, it requires a certain level of education, vocabulary to know that the words, you know, Dr. Riley just mentioned textured vegetable protein or monosodium glutamate or different food colorings or names of artificial sweeteners. These are words that you actually have to learn at some point to understand just how highly processed a food may be. So I think once they go start reading that ingredient list, it really blows their mind to realize how far away from a whole food uh, that certain food products have become. The second big discovery and shocking discovery for people is how deceiving these food labels can be. Mm. So they're getting educated. They're learning that certain uh, added ingredients into a food can actually be harmful for their health. Something that we do prioritize uh, our education on is understanding the role of trans fats and how they can negatively impact our health, our heart health, and our brain health in particular. 
These fats, trans fats, are actually called partially hydrogenated oils. So the confusing thing is that when you go to the ingredient list, they won't list trans fats as included, but they may list the words partially hydrogenated oil of some kind. When you go up to the nutrition facts section and you look under fat, you will see a section called trans fats. So you first have to know that those are the, the same ingredients. And the second thing that's deceiving is that the food label can actually say zero grams of trans fats, even though it contains less than 0.5 grams of a partially hydrogenated oil. These oils are definitely of consequence to your health, and you really do want to avoid them. The only way to avoid them is by reading the ingredient list. If you were to just read the amount of grams of trans fat under the nutrition facts, you could be deceived. And finally, Dr. Bradley will talk uh, more about this, but just the amount of added sweeteners. This is a whole nother education, learning all the different words beyond sugar beyond honey, beyond words that we're familiar with that mean something sweet that have been added into your food. Okay, so what are they? So let me give you a short list of what could be a very long list just to get us start thinking about some of these names of added sweeteners. We've got brown sugar, cane sugar, evaporated cane sugar, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, fructose, glucose, dextrose, lactose, maltose, malt syrup, brown rice syrup, raw sugar, maple syrup, and honey. And wow. this isn't even a complete list. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of cane sugar forms. What are, what are cane sugar? What is cane sugar? So the beautiful thing is that the, the cane plant is actually in the grass family. And in its natural form, it's actually a fiber-rich grass stalk, if you will, that in, I guess I would say, in more native ways was traditionally chewed as, as a whole food in a sense. We have now manipulated that whole food into a highly processed white table sugar that we often see at restaurants in those little packages. But in that processing, there is a high degree of variation so you can get less processed versions of the of the cane plant. Things like molasses, succinate are less processed and actually contain more of the whole food. But the white table sugar and the brown table sugar are in products highly processed and really don't retain much of the original plant. So basically it seems sounds like I'm hearing you say sugar is sugar. Sugar is sugar and in the body your body doesn't process it differently in terms of the added calories and the way that added sweetener can influence hormones in the body that can have negative consequences. Yes, added sweetener is added sweetener. As we all know, sugar is a hot topic right now in many of the conversations concerning health. One of the big questions that people have is, how do I know if I'm eating too much sugar? And Julie, can you tell us, um, do you have a standard that we could use that would help us to know how much is too much? Sure. Yeah, we do have a guideline that we use, but I think it's important to first differentiate uh, naturally occurring sugar sugars versus added sugars in the diet. So naturally occurring sugars are things found in our whole foods, so whole fruits and vegetables. Um, 
And when you eat them as a whole fruit in combination with its fiber and vitamins and minerals, it doesn't count towards that added sugar amount that we're going to be talking about here. An added sugar is something that you add to your food or that's added to food in, in the packaging process. So sugar, honey, maple syrup, molasses, all of that is considered an added sugar. Um, in reality, we don't need to have any added sugar in the diet. Um, that said, in America, we are over-consuming it. Um, there, there was a recent study with teenagers, and they're consuming over 100 grams of added sugar a day. Which brings me to your next question, which is, so how much is too much? Um, like I said, we don't need any, but because we're eating so much um, in our FAME series, we go by the American Heart Association recommendations. Um, which suggests that women have no more than 24 grams of added sugar a day and that men have no more than 36 grams of added sugar a day. But again, most people don't think in terms of grams, so we like to convert that to teaspoons for people. So we have our participants memorize that um, four grams of sugar equals one teaspoon. And so in those words, women should have no more than six added teaspoons and men no more than nine added teaspoons a day. So from there, we can start looking at some of our labels and, and seeing how much are in these products. And, um, you know, like the food label reading class, we bring in sweetened beverages and sodas and yogurts and start to find that, uh, you know, even one soda a day and you're already uh, going above and beyond that recommended amount. So it is a challenge, but it is a good goal to start with to try and aim for those amounts or less. Well, and once you have that amount, then yes, like you say, it's a goal that you can work toward. But I think it's amazing um, to me, myself, as well as probably your students, how many food items have hidden sugars and understanding the terminology, what actually is a sugar versus, um, you know, something else. It's it's just a matter of starting at the basics and then increasing their knowledge. Uh, which brings me to a question about artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. I know we have a number of them on the market today, Splenda, Stevia, um, all kinds of uh, substitutes, sugar substitutes. Are, these, are either of these a good sugar substitute? And then we get into another area of sweeteners like agave. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've had many people you know, suggest that they're better than the artificial sweeteners and because they don't react in your body the same way. So it really is very wise to understand the differences between the different types of sugar as well as whether it's a natural sugar versus an added sugar. Artificial sweeteners are man-made chemicals. They are made in a lab, so they are not naturally occurring in any sense of the word. Um, in fact, some of them are derived some, from some very toxic compounds but they have been recommended because they don't actually contain any calories and thus they don't cause a glucose spike like regular sugar would. Um, so they've been recommended for people that are cutting back on sugars or who have diabetes. Um, and so that initial thought was these are a great thing, but um, now we know that over the long term, consuming artificial sweeteners does lead to weight gain and it does increase your risk of diabetes. And then also these are man-made chemicals. These are not part of a whole foods diet. So kind of like the trans fats, these are one of the things that in our class and in our philosophy, we don't recommend that people have artificial sweeteners. And again, a whole other topic is learning that language. I mean, you have to know that Splenda is sucralose and aspartame is equal and NutraSweet and um, be able to find those words on uh, packaging. 
I also just want to clear up one thing. You mentioned stevia in your question, and stevia actually isn't an artificial sweetener. It comes from the stevia plant, so it's actually a naturally occurring plant that's grown in South America, and the leaves are actually very sweet. They contain a chemical, a glycoside, that tastes sweet on our taste buds. And so um, I actually remember when I lived in Paraguay, we, we used to pick the stevia leaves right off the plant and add them to our mate, and that was before stevia became really popular here in the United States. Anyway, my point is it's you can now find stevia um, extracts and powders on the market and kind of similar to the artificial sweeteners that it doesn't have any sugar in it and it's non-caloric, but the difference is it's not a man-made chemical. It's actually from a plant. So we do think this can be a good option, especially as you try to decrease the amount of sugar. It can be a good substitute um, in the meantime. In light of what Dr. Briley just shared about naturally occurring versus added sweeteners, it's important to note that Currently, the food label does not differentiate when you look under nutrition facts under sugar if that sugar is added or naturally occurring. So the USDA has actually passed regulation to say that this is coming, but we don't know when this information will be added to food labels. So in the meantime, you have to learn how to make educated guesses about what is added and what is naturally occurring. And again, the best place to figure that out is to go to the ingredient list. As you know, Bob's Red Mill is all about promoting whole grains. When people are reading labels on breads or pastas, how do they know if they are made from whole grains rather than refined grains? And maybe before you answer that, maybe I should back up and say, um, you know, and ask Courtney, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us the difference between a whole grain and a refined grain? Absolutely. So... Another another area of education for many of us. If you have an opportunity to look up uh, an anatomy, a drawing, if you will, of a whole grain, it's actually really beautiful and really artistic. So a common whole grain that many of us can imagine in our minds right now is a kernel of popcorn. So grains come in these amazing packages in nature that they have three primary parts. They have the husk or the kernel, which we can all imagine on the outside exterior of a popcorn kernel. They have the interior, uh, which is usually a white starchy interior called the endosperm. And then they have a central fatty containing area called the germ. So three main parts, the, the husk or the bran, the internal starchy part called the endosperm, and then the fatty vitamin-rich interior called the germ. So this, these are the parts of a whole grain. Now what often happens is whole grains are susceptible to a process called oxidation. They can actually spoil over time, especially once we mill them, we grind them, and we expose all the different parts to the environment. So food companies have recognized that if they separate out some of the parts of the whole grain and primarily use that starchy rich endosperm, that they have longer shelf lives associated with their products and that's good for the bottom line. Unfortunately, we are removing some of the most nutrient dense parts of the whole grain, including the fiber rich bran on the outside and that fatty vitamin rich interior called the germ. And ironically, people are willing to spend their food dollars on supplements of bran and germ instead of buying a whole grain. So 
that leads into how do we know what we're getting on a food label, knowing that a whole grain product is going to be more nutrient dense than a refined grain product. So one of the most uh, important first steps is to actually start learning what are some common whole grains. So wheat, rye, barley, spelt, things like corn, oats, quinoa, amaranth, sorghum, these are names of whole grains as they come in nature. When we start seeing words attached to these whole grains, such as refined wheat or enriched wheat, that means something has been processed on that grain. That processing involves removing uh, parts of that whole grain and sometimes trying to add in or compensate what they've removed. So the only way that you know you are getting a whole grain product is to either see the words 100% whole grain on the label or to learn those different names of whole grains. And if you see a bag of popcorn and the ingredient list says corn, or if you see a bag of rice and the ingredient list says brown rice, you know that you've also purchased a whole grain. It's amazing how with processed food, um, not only do we have to learn a new language with reading the labels, but then we also have to understand just the basics, what is a refined grain. And um, the whole grain, basically, as you had just said, it's the whole thing, the, all the parts, the complete whole grain. So um, are there any other words that, would, that we should look for on an ingredient list um, that would tip us off that the food is highly processed? So I think really this is just a compilation of all that we have learned. Some of the red flags, if you will, that I really do want people to walk away with are really knowing to look for those trans fats, partially hydrogenated, anything following those two words. You want to pay attention to that. Educating yourself on different names of added sweeteners. A simple clue may be to look for words that end in O-S-E, such as glucose, dextrose, those often indicate a different name for sugar or sweetener. And finally, learning what some of these chemicals and preservatives look like, what they're called, monosodium glutamate, textured vegetable proteins. These are strange words that, again, we are all part of, in a sense, a big food experiment of what some of these added chemicals are, are doing to us over the long term. So it's not a... Um, it does require a little bit of groundwork. So, mm -hmm. so now we've we've looked at the the back side of the package, which is where the nutritional label is, and it has so much great information and necessary information if you really want to know what's going into your food. Let's talk a little bit about what the wording we see on the front of the package. Um, today we see so much that's stated like certified organic, all natural, free range, non-GMO, just to mention a few. Uh, Julie, can you help us better understand the significance of these sorts of terms that are used on the front side of the packages? Sure. So you're right. We talked about the back of the label, the nutrition facts section, and the ingredient list. The front of the boxes or packaging is like a whole other world. And companies can, in, in many ways, put whatever they want. Um, aside from a few regulated labels. So the education comes in figuring out what words are regulated and what 
what words aren't regulated. So a common one you mentioned was all natural. Um, right now, just about anybody can put that on the front of their packaging, and it does lead to increased sales. Like it's been researched. Um, so it, it all natural is regulated in terms of some of our meat pro products, meaning that they've been not highly processed and um, there's no preservatives. However, it doesn't tell you at all how the, the meat has been raised. Um, other terms that are regulated, so grass-fed beef is regulated by the USDA, and that means that um, those cattle were raised on grass and they weren't fed grains or other animal byproducts. But even that gets confusing because some grass-fed cows are also what we call grain-finished, meaning that in the last 90 days of their life, they're fed a lot of grains to fatten them up quickly before going to um, the slaughterhouse. So if you really want to make sure you have 100% grass-fed beef, you have to look for 100% grass-fed or grass-fed and grass-finished. Um, another regulated term is free-range. That's regulated for poultry. And that means that those chickens, you'll see the free-range label on uh, chicken meat or eggs, it means that they did have access to the outdoors. However, doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of the environment is amazing. So it doesn't mean they were pasture raised. It means they might have been on gravel or dirt. So it, it gets very complex. I think um, our best advice is to also shop locally and get to know your farmers. Visit the farms if you can um, and know that some of those labels, they, they are regulated, but they may not mean what you think they mean. Another one that you brought up that we should mention is um, GMO. Um, the only uh, independent organization that's certifying that a food does not contain GMOs is the Non-GMO Project. You'll see that on the label too, Non-GMO Project Verified. They do routine testing to make sure that uh, those foods are at least 99.1% GMO free. And in addition, I would say organic also means that it should be GMO-free. However, there are some cases of contamination. Again, a lot of information to understand and really take our food seriously. We are the only ones who make the decision as to what we put into our bodies and how important it is for us to have good, healthy foods. I think the easiest for me personally, when I don't want to take the time to read a label, I just go to Whole Food. <laughs> <laughs> I just buy the fruits and vegetables and whole grains that don't have labels. Uh, and yes, some of the whole grains you still come. In, of course, they come in packages. I know with our ingredients at Bob's Red Mill, you can see what's in the package. And again, it's still very important to read labels. Uh, but I think it's become quite a a task anymore to really know what, what's in our food, but a very important one to make sure we know what we are choosing mm -hmm. in the way of foods. Mm -hmm. Every week we want to leave you with a few healthy tips, but before that, Julie, I think you had something you'd like to share with us. Yes, I do. We have our second annual Food as Medicine Symposium coming up on March 28th and 29th, 2015. And so if you're interested in learning more about health and nutrition from physicians and nutrition experts, this might be a great weekend for you. We have both a professional continuing education event as well as a whole day planned for the public, including great speakers, delicious food, and wonderful local food vendors. So we hope to see you there. Every week we want to leave you with a few healthy tips that we're calling to-go box. In today's to-go box, when reading a food label, don't get hung up with specific numbers and percentages. Read the ingredient list first to find out exactly what is in your food. 
Food label reading is a skill well worth the time to develop, and the knowledge gained can have a huge impact on your health. And finally, the easiest way to avoid processed foods is to stock your grocery cart with whole foods. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds, fish and lean meats. I'd like to thank our guests for joining me today, Dr. Julie Briley and Dr. Courtney Jackson, and to you, our audience, for listening. For more information about food label reading and to check out the FAME 12 series program, go to the website foodismedicineinstitute.com.